Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Soundstage Podcast. I'm your host, Matthew Cross. With me, I have Alex Heaton from Faultline Games, the creative director, if I have that title right. Uh, director, yeah. Uh, we don't really have titles, which is kind of, yeah, it's interesting. <laughs> is the news for the week for you, Alex, as far as like the biggest feature or biggest thing that you've done this week as far as work, games, whatever? Mm, okay, well... I guess from Faultline's perspective, the the biggest news is that we are uh, just, we've decided what we're going to do for our first post-release update. And I've been working on a new game mode, and I've been working on a new weapon as well. So that's been kind of interesting. It's been it was as the launch was going on, we didn't really get a lot of time to do things like that uh, because we were you know trying to make sure that the game is really stable and you know making all the f- the functionality really solid so it's really nice to start working on some new things uh, really excited about it new weapons always love new weapons <laughs> yeah exactly yeah and it, the trouble is we always want to make it fair so we're doing one for the marines and one for the aliens i don't know if both of them will make it for our release date on sort of early december we'll be announcing more about them soon which we will get into content updates and all that stuff in the, <laughs> later yeah Give us a little back history on well, you and Faultline Games in general, uh, for those who might not know. Okay, Faultline Games started as a, uh, well, we began our life as a mod team for Natural Selection 2, and we made a mod version of Natural Selection 2 Combat because we, it wasn't in the original game, and it was something, it was a game mode that we always wanted to see. Um, personally, I always preferred the combat version to standard NS2, uh, which for those who don't know, Natural Selection 2 is a cross between a real-time strategy game and first-person shooter uh, with sort of asymmetric sides and uh, aliens versus space marines. And so uh, combat takes away the real-time strategy element and takes away that reliance on one member of the team to be actually aware of what the hell they're doing and tries to make it a bit more kind of fast-paced, a bit more free-for-all with more of a focus on the individual. So we began creating that and then we kind of hit a wall and we started working on other projects that we kind of wanted to do uh, because we, as a, as a mod team, you're kind of stuck uh, in a way. You're always prey to the original game changing things that then break your mod version and it can get very frustrating. So we started to move away and actually create our own engine and uh, worked on some of uh, a top-down game where uh, Marines would shoot aliens, but uh, something like back into aliens form and then we were approached in january to start working on this project ns2 combat which is a standalone rewrite of that mod which uh, we released about 20 days ago very nice uh, so have you been with Faultline since they began as a yes. company okay. yeah so the original group were there were three of us uh, one german one englishman and one well one iraqi who lives in sweden the team has kind of grown um, as we picked up new people. Uh, at the peak of our modding times, we had about six of us, and Faultline, as it stands right now, has seven. So we've kind of found a good, comfortable size. Let, let's talk about the modding scene. Uh, that I always find this interesting, that mod teams become game developers in and of themselves. Is this because it, it's just a desire to scratch their own itch? I mean, it, <laughs> uh, well, it, I mean, really, it's uh, like almost an open source kind of thing where it's just like, you know, you guys, you, they find something that they want to work on almost. And it's just like you get a, you get that right group of people that just all want to work on it and it just kind of coalesces into 
in this case a game company <laughs> yes uh, well i mean i think that's that tends to be the natural progression actually i think the the chances of you becoming a game company depend a lot on luck and on whether you can organize yourselves to the point where that is a viable option because it does take a lot of it's a big step up actually when you're starting to think about creating a company you have to really be a bit more serious and it takes a lot more commitment than perhaps a mod team does i think everybody well certainly everyone i know who's joined the mod team they wanted to to make games and they felt that the mod team was the way to get into that or to you know to get pick up the skills pick up the contacts pick up what you need to be able to do that and so i think Faultline games I, I couldn't have imagined it two years ago when we started on the mod i i mean it was a pipe dream i guess to actually have turned our ragtag group into sort of a, an organized an organized entity that can do things and that can you know have a game published on steam by uh, people that we regard i mean our publishers are also our kind of heroes the, the reasons that we got into the game in the first place so yeah no it's just it's been fantastic um so staying on the topic of being you know as a modder i play a lot of game you know nexus mods and all the the other websites that you can go to to find various mods for various games i'm very big into the modding scene myself not so much doing the mods but as you know as opposed to using them and the biggest thing i find as a pc gamer or as a gamer in general Mods, to me, have added extra life to a game's longevity on so many levels. You know, I, yeah. I, go, I, I, go back and I, I go back and I still play the original Dragon Age Origins because the modding tools are there to tweak different things that I may or may not like or drop something off. Or if I want, I can use the tool set and make something. But yeah. there seems to be almost like this host, uh, hostile mentality from some AAA developers towards modders certain ones like mentioned they're not going to understand the game engine or certain ones certain ones mentioned that they're going to ban people for taking away a blue tent yeah i mean i i just to be honest i think i don't think it's that hard to make the i think valve have done the right thing by embracing modders i think unknown worlds have done the right thing by really getting a that in order for your game to last longer than it need than you know it would otherwise you really do need to think about modding from the beginning and you need to enable people to modify the game as they want and in ways that you can't imagine i think a lot of triple a studios they want to keep control of where their game heads they don't want to have the next goat simulator made in their game because they think i mean i guess for them it's a business risk if if someone mods the game in a way that they don't like uh, the way that maybe that's how they perceive it but i think the games that are still going on now you still have people playing vampire the masquerade bloodlines that was released like 10 years ago or however long ago it was but there's still people modding that and i think that that you if you try and engage with the modding community you always end up with a good result i think it's, it's never a bad step in my eyes i was gonna say chris avalon from obsidian um, I've talked to him on a few occasions, and he is very supportive of the modding community. He has gone so far as to say that a lot of the mods and stuff uh, that were on, I believe it was Nexus, how they gauged on there for what they would do for DLC on Fallout New yep, Vegas. absolutely, yeah. That speaks volumes, because you take – and the thing is, with that particular game, you're you know multi-platform, so you're giving people on – the closed ecosystems, unlike PC, access to what the PC users have. Yeah, they have to pay for it, but it still gives them a great thing to have, I think. That's really interesting, actually. I mean, I have to admit, I wasn't aware of that. I think it's much rarer in consoles for mods to ever reach the end user. Like, 
if, if I make a mod on the PC, everyone can share it. You've got things like Steam Workshop. It's kind of built into the ecosystem. But on consoles, it's always been this lockdown experience. So it's really nice to see a developer porting the ideas or porting some of the code or models from mods into um, into the console versions of games. That's, that's absolutely great. Yeah, when UT3 came out, I know the PS3 version was able to do, in some convulsed way, could do the mods from the PC side after you converted them. And wow, it, it was. It, I, I know Sony did something like that, but it, it was really there's no seamless way like with Steam Workshop or I mean even dragging and dropping into file folders is actually simpler than what the console way of doing things is from what yeah. I've seen. It's never really been built with that in mind, I think. And again, you can you can see the difference between a system that has been built with that from the ground up as a as a sort of goal, and and one that hasn't. I mean, the, the difference is huge. Yeah. Uh, do, do you think we're seeing a change though with with games like Little Big Planet as an example? Do you do you mm. think we're we're seeing kind of a shift in that mentality by some of the console manufacturers? Um, Project Spark is another one that comes to mind. Absolutely. I mean, I think Little Big Planet's been great in terms of creating a platform that you can i mean the the amount of user generated content on little big planet is just staggering and it's really good as well like you i a while ago i was um playing with my nephew um on little big planet and he has this obsession with roller coasters and i realized that there's this entire little big planet subculture dedicated to people who just made roller coasters in the game that do various things and you know like i just it kind of I, I think it's somewhere I never thought we would be uh, looking at the ecosystem 10 years ago. I guess I guess what it is, is if you give someone the tools and you give someone an internet connection, that's those are really the two things you need. And I think on PC, the tools are always going to be there. People can hack around with the code. Even if you don't put them into your game, you're going to end up with mods of some sort. Um, as long as your game's popular, someone will write something. It, it's really... I mean, do you know what's happened with the, the featured content in Little Big Planet? Do, do they feature the, the sort of best user-generated um, stuff as well? I, I just know... I haven't played Little Big Planet in a long time. I just know that they make it... They, they're making user-generated content, like, easy. Like, last I heard, there's, like, 9 million levels or something. Levels, various levels for... That was user-generated. I'm like, that that that's crazy for one game. Yeah, um, yeah. It's, I mean... I think that's just uh, how many of those are any good, though, yeah, I guess. Okay, true. <laughs> then again, some could say about the half-finished mods that, yeah, that are yeah. out there as well. Yeah, I think that for every mod that um, ends up getting to what I would say is a polished, finished state, there's got to be there's got to be sort of 100 that never get there or, you know, they're just half-finished ideas. But I actually think those half-finished ideas are incredibly valuable. I mean, you end up, you end up thinking that each one of those is a sort of nugget. I mean, I guess, as you were saying about Obsidian, each each mod, even if it's not quite there, but it can show the proof of concept, that's then enough for the main developer to take that on as an idea that they can put into the sequel to their game or something that someone else can develop further. I, I just love that, the way modders end up feeding off each other. In a good, if, if you've got a healthy, vibrant modding community, you will get proliferation of an idea and then for it to be kind of gradually perfected. Uh, over time by completely unrelated people as well people may not even talk to each other it's fascinating uh, if, uh, this is why i love the modding community in general just like the pc side of things it's just so open and the possibilities are like limitless and yes as long as there is an ini file someone will make a mod or tweak something 
exactly. Even a DLL. I mean, you can do so many things. If you if you're a good coder, you can. I mean, I'm just looking at things like Hoxhud for for Payday Two, mm-hmm. and you know, there's just all these kinds of things that people build, um, and you never think that it's going to be possible. Because they, you know, often the developer hasn't thought about it, but they've ended up accidentally creating a route for someone to mod that game. And that's all you need, really. I do think games that have workshop support tend to be in a better position. I love the fact that you can just click on something and it will install it seamlessly. And, you know, having that user experience that really works with mods is so crucial for them to actually... It's the difference between where we were maybe 12 years ago with Half-Life, where you had to extract the, the mod and you couldn't connect to any servers without having the right files. And, you know, it was it was almost like the Dark Ages in terms of what you have now being just so much more refined in experience, I think. Very much so. Um, this gets me onto a topic of career in, in the industry, um, and then we'll roll into uh, National Selection to Combat. Mm-hmm. Um, is it more practical to be a modder trying to get into the industry or go to school and be, <laughs> you know, you, you, see yeah. a lot of, you see a lot of these things where it's like they advertise, you know, these colleges now are advertising for video game design. It's like, is that really what they're looking for, or is it practicality, proof of concepts, and the fact that you can, you know, focus and narrow down, you know, have a portfolio, basically? Well, I've worked with people who have been to schools like Full Sail, and I've worked with people who have done almost no formal training. And I have to say, I think that you really need, essentially what modding is giving you is a portfolio. I see it as a way of you're creating something, you can then point a potential employer at that and say, look, I made this, this is what I can do. This is how I operate. And I think that if you've been in a successful mod team, that is definitely a good career move if you want to get into the games industry. I would say though, that I think as someone who's managed a team, you do want to have people who have a degree of formal training in terms of just understanding the general game development process, maybe a bit, it doesn't even have to be formal training in game development, as long as you have training in the field that you want to excel in. So if you are doing uh, environmental art, then you need to have got, you need to just understand how to work in a team of other people who are trying to, to achieve something. It doesn't have to be in the games industry, but it has to be, you have to have a bit of experience first. I think a games study program is probably a good idea, but it's certainly not the only way to do it. I've seen a lot of successful programmers as well just come in from, you know, maybe they've worked at a company for eight years and they're good at what they do, but they've just, it took them a while to work out that they could just, oh yeah, I can just make games in my spare time. And they'd go ahead and do it and have a lot of fun with it. Okay, very nice. Um, I, I always enjoy hearing the, the different perspectives on that. Well, it's, I think it also very much depends on you as an individual. Uh, I think if you are someone who doesn't have the time to do full-time study, modding is a great way of uh, just experimenting with you know, designing games and taking a, an idea that you have and just running with it, which is all game development really is. It, I mean, it's that, but you're doing it as a group. Um, and there's all the sort of team dynamics and production type stuff that comes into it. But at the end of the day, that's what you want it to be. You want it to be um, just running with ideas and being having that creative process. It's really important. Let's talk about uh, Natural Selection 2 Combat, which on the topic of mods, it originally started out as one. Then again, Natural Selection 2 is built off the original Natural Selection in one exactly. mod. Wow. I mean, it is so complicated when you go to the, the history there. Uh, yeah, it's a... 
mod of a game of a mod game or something like that. It, I, yeah. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I was gonna say um because I've, I've talked to hugh jeremy from unknown worlds originally and <laughs> explaining the history now it's just like i okay <laughs> <laughs> you kind of have to give up like yeah. um I, the way i see it is that um and it's to combat i mean it's basically an idea that was started in the half-life one version of ns and it's not so different really the the half-life 2 i mean the ns2 version ns2 combat is just that idea but obviously a bit more we've had a lot more time to execute it and obviously it came up as a mod so there was a big learning curve and obviously it's a it's a rewrite we've had we've we've learned so much in like two years of working on it that we ended up just rewriting the whole thing you've taught you mentioned earlier about trying to make the game more accessible um, to a wider range than, say, regular National Selection 2. Can you go a little more in-depth on that? Because you, you said kind of arcade but you... Yeah. Well, I think the um, the accessibility of NST Combat, I mean, I was really hoping we got it right, but from the feedback we've had, we've still made it's still hard to, to learn. And I don't think there's an awful lot we can do about it now. I mean, we've from a design perspective, we really, really tried. We tried to make it so that you would be given the space to learn each of the game mechanics in a way that wouldn't penalize you for having failed at learning them. Um, I think that's, I guess, the simplest way of putting it. In, in the original Natural Selection, or Natural Selection 2, you would be on a team and you might have a chance to try one of the sort of super-duper life forms. You could try the big one, that can, the big rhinoceros one, and the Onos or the Fade or one of those... And you would get a brief moment to actually try it, and then you'd get killed. And then you'd be like, oh, I, I never learned how to use that, really. And the rest of your team would berate you for dying as well, which I always uh, I always found frustrating. I'm not particularly good at the game, so I would always get very frustrated at that learning curve. Um, so I think what we've tried to do with this one is we've made it so that you can have a fun experience, even if there's a skill imbalance. Even if you're learning the game, hopefully you will at least have some fun and you won't get frustrated. Um, and changes we've done in our most recent hotfix should address a lot of the feedback that we got at launch, I think, in that regard, in terms of giving you catch-up mechanisms and giving you a sort of um, bit of a safety net. If you keep dying a lot, you'll get a, um, you'll get a bit of breathing space. How was how that implemented, though? You say if you keep dying a lot, how is the breathing space implemented? Well, what, what we uh, realized was that um, we wanted to put a system in that allowed you to learn the mechanics. Like It wouldn't fundamentally change how the mechanics worked, but they would give you a bit more survivability. So if you die more than two times in a row, you then get a slight, a slight decrease in the amount of damage you take up to a point. Like The more times you die, the more of a decrease in damage you get. So hopefully, if you're just dying and dying and dying and dying, you will end up at a point where you finally manage to land that kill, and then you get that good experience. And then at that point, obviously, it resets itself back to normal. Um, so just a kind of anti-frustration mechanism that we put in place. And there's all kinds of little tweaks like that that we've been designing from the very beginning, but that you know didn't make it in for various reasons that we have ready to to roll. If we, uh, you know, we have all these ideas in a little document things that we might implement in terms of design if, if we need more. How has the overall response been to National Selection 2 combat from the National Selection 2 community as a whole? 
Well, I have to say that it's been mixed. I felt that from the responses we got, a lot of people really enjoyed playing the mod version of Combat, and then they went and they bought NS2 Combat, and they've loved it. And actually, I think those are our core... It's a surprise to me, but that's our core audience. That, that wasn't our intention. Our intention was to really introduce new people to NS2, introduce people who perhaps picked up NS2 in a humble bundle sale and never really got into it because they felt it was too hard. That was Our focus was to make it easy enough that if you like the idea of it, that you can play it and you can learn it and you can have fun. But I think some people have reacted quite negatively to it. And I think part of that is that we didn't do a... Now, I mean, for various reasons, we haven't done a tie-in that gives you a reduction if you own NS2. And part of that is because so many people own NS2, but don't really, they've never really played it. They just have it in their library. So how do you differentiate between them and people that have owned it and played it for a billion years? You, you can't, or it's, at least we couldn't find a technical way of doing that. But I think, so part of it is that perception that it's been over overpriced for those guys. And that might be fair, I think. Based on the feedback we've received, it certainly seems that we should be pricing it a bit maybe half price or less for people who own NS2. And I think we're going to work at seeing if we can do that. But the, yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely a mixed bag. In terms of reception, some people really love it. Some people are really happy with it. But some people have felt that it has been a negative for the NS2 community. And I, I personally, I disagree, but that's just the sort of feedback we've had to deal with. As far as feedback... Not so much uh, from the NS2 community as a whole, but more of the core audience. What has been their biggest, I don't want to say complaints, but biggest issues that they've brought up to you as far as, you know, bugs or whatever? Well, it's been, um, I think, bug-wise, we've been pretty, we've been okay, actually. I mean, there's a couple of guys who've got problems with um, the engine itself, but I think those are those people also have problems with NS2. So it's probably the same problem, uh, given that the, the engine code is very similar between them. We have had some problems with the matchmaking in that we had assumed we'd have a slightly larger population. And so we are now a situation where very good players are being matched up with people who may be new to the game. And I think that's really, that's something that it's very hard to balance for, which is why we've put all the catch-up mechanisms in and, and sort of really bo boosted your chance of having a fun game, even if you do end up in that situation. I think the other major issue that we've had is people still find it too hard to learn how to play the skulk even with all of the changes we've put in and i think that maybe that's something we can't fix i think it does require a degree of just dying until you work it out um and once you get over that hump it's fine i think most people get it but a lot of people do will have complained about the fact that they still find the skulk hard and i it makes me sad that we haven't been able to to do more there um and i think that if we can we will do more to make it more accessible. I think it's just got this slight learning curve to it now. I think the RTS first-person shooter hybrids in general usually have a you try they're trying to cater to two audiences and it's hard to find that that right balance sometimes for some people when the, you know if you're an RTS fan and you're going into it and all you want to do is you know play the overview basically first-person shooter fans all they want to do is you know shoot things in the face. <laughs> Yeah. So, I mean, it's it's a lovely genre. It's great. But yeah. I think that you always have this learning curve. And I think if it was just two sides of Space Marines shooting each other, we probably would have had a lot a lot less problems with that. I think the problem is just that that starting 
uh, alien class is so weak. So it is very easy to die, and you don't know what you're doing, and you maybe don't know how to walk up walls yet. And you know, it's it's just your first few minutes, and we just have to help. We have to keep you engaged for long enough for you to get it, and then once you got it, hopefully you'll have a great, you'll have like you know a million hours of fun with it. One question I have is cross-platform support. I know you guys are a small team. Uh, NS2 is Windows Linux and that. Windows Linux. It's Windows with Linux being sort of semi-supported. So. <laughs> um, NS2 is in a similar position. Oh, sorry, Combat is in a similar position. We've, we know that it works on Linux, but we haven't got anyone on our team who has been, uh, like no one in the official dev team that has been really pushing it. Um, and that's something I wanted to do, but we've just not had the time. And uh, so I think what will happen at some point before Christmas is one of us will install all the dev tools, get it all running, and then just tweak. The I don't think it's that much that even needs to be tweaked, to be honest. It's just a few things. Uh, one core problem is that a lot of the game is written was written for direct, DirectX, and that was a design decision made by Unknown Worlds, like, two and a half years ago and it's slowly being ported so that everything works and i think we're in a very good place now it's kind of mostly there but i think there's a few more little bits that need to happen to get the uh, performance to the point where it needs to be on linux um it's not the same as on windows you do need a slightly faster pc and i'm not happy with that <laughs> yeah because my understanding is uh direct uh, direct 3d uh obviously or direct x whatever you want to call it is what it was written in so it's the switch over to OpenGL, obviously because that's whatever version linux is on i think it's three dot something or whatever so there's that then i'm believing you guys would be using sdl2 to make the calls I, see, that's the thing. I'm not even sure. There's a whole Linux development team in the <laughs> um, Natural Section 2 CDT, and we obviously pull through everything that they're doing. Mm -hmm. So we're getting all the updates they're making. As I understand it, the Linux client files don't seem to be coming through on Steam, but they are being built and they are being shipped to Steam. Mm -hmm. So I don't know why that's not happening. And again, that's one of those things that someone needs to go in, work out why it's not happening, and then just make the tweaks that are needed. Huh. I, that is odd. I, I, I speak because I, I run every OS under the sun, apparently. Any any place I can play games, I really don't care if it's on a whatever system, Windows, Mac, OS, Mac, Linux, whatever. Um, as long as I can play my games, don't care. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think Mac support is something I really, really want to have. A lot of people are starting to use it. Um, you know, yeah. I've, I've got a nice Mac laptop that I could play the game on. It It's got the right specs. Um, it's... It's one of those things that frustrates me, but then I am powerless to, like, with the amount of other development work that we have to do, we just simply, you know, we have to focus on the, at this point, we have to focus on getting what we can done, get what we can get done within a sort of reasonable time frame. And so that's Linux support, and that's um, more updates for the game at this point. Gets us into, um, I wanted to talk about prep. Hi, Kat. I'm pretty sure you don't need to be up there. <laughs> I wanted to talk to you about uh, what the press, YouTubers, and various other um, media personalities, what, how their reaction has been to uh, combat as opposed to, say, natural selection too. Well, I think um, I think it really depends on whether the person had played NS2 before or not. Um, what we found was that everyone was overwhelmingly positive for the most part from the press. We had a, a couple of weeks before the game was released where we were showing it to people. Um, but because our release 
was timed so closely with that of advanced warfare i think a lot of the guys you normally do first person shooter coverage were a bit busy with that and we did manage to get uh total biscuit had a look at the game and he he enjoyed playing game but then he found the same frustrations that other people have found in terms of he couldn't learn how to play the skull so you know that was one of our uh sort of that was a bit of a blow for us when we realized he was finding it difficult because he's you know an experienced fps player we thought we got it in the bag but there was obviously more we needed to do and i think um his he also couldn't understand why we hadn't made it less expensive for ns2 players and i think that was uh again um another criticism that i think while we we may be able to do something to address it now it certainly wasn't something we could do anything about at the time so very fair uh you mentioned the you guys pull from ns2 ns2 has recently been passed off to the community development team um so unknown worlds can focus on uh, subnautica and various other projects that they're doing do you guys in turn throw back what you tweak and what you do back into say the mainline natural selection too absolutely i mean one thing to consider is that We've actually diverged quite far from where NS2 is. There's lots of things that are in NS2 that are, you know, we've basically thrown them away and written our own systems that essentially allow us to do it the way that makes sense for combat. So a lot of the updates we've done are very specific to combat. There have been a couple of uh, systems that we implemented in the engine that we are sharing with the community team and hopefully that they can reuse for themselves. But they... um, the problem is that their, their product is very stable and they don't want to make too many changes to it that they haven't made themselves. I think they, they have a review process. They have a couple of guys who are in charge of engine development. And well, we're sharing what we can. I think they are limited in the amount that they can change on their side um, and in a way that they can do safely. So I think that's why there's been, well, obviously we're pulling everything that we can from them. Uh, we're submitting things back, but there's not, so much of that that's actually getting integrated into ns2 and i think that's it's a shame but it's just the way ns2 is as a product you know they're trying to keep it working they're trying to keep it stable they don't want to introduce things that they don't understand into the game if they don't know where it will fit they don't tend to put it in i think one thing that may end up getting implemented though is the skin system that we've added so we we added a a moddable skin system that lets you reskin anything in the game just by editing a text file and popping some textures into a folder which uh i think hopefully they will end up putting that in because it's it's something i think the game's always needed so (laughs) if they can put that in that will really help i think that'll help with their modding community as well that sounds epic all i can see is a bunch of aliens running around as hats (laughs) exactly well that's the other one the hat system that we're um i have actually got a couple of bits of hat code lying around but actually we decided we weren't just going to go with hats we would start with socks and work up because (laughs) everyone's done hats it's done to death and then we were thinking that actually what we really needed was a sock poser system so you could put the socks in the right place for each of the different aliens because they all they all look different they all posed differently so what you ended up needing was a very flexible system and so i think we're going to we're going to flesh it out and build it but it's obviously new game content is going to come first before socks <laughs> well i mean you got to got to do what you got to do there i mean <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it's Christmas, right? Yeah, so, exactly. You know, there might be some stockings or something. Who knows? I don't know. I was going to say, I'm looking forward to that if there is. I'm definitely <laughs> all over that. <laughs> yeah, or well, Christmas jumpers. That might be the other one. <laughs> Natural selection to Christmas. <laughs> exactly. 
Well, maybe it'll be bunny ears for, for Easter. Who knows? We'll get something <laughs> in. I, I mean, I think we realise that every system we build, we've come from the modding community, so we want it all to be modern. <clears throat> like everything we're putting in new, we designed it in a way that if you drop a file off and you put it in the workshop, it will override very easily what's going on or it will add without destroying existing things like so that two mods can work together and not break each other uh, that's always been our focus um because we've been so involved in the modding community we know how to do the design in a way that is going to be suitable uh, <laughs> all i can see is those aliens with bunny ears and stuff now <laughs> yeah <laughs> it'll happen yeah oh man speaking of future content updates though uh what are some of the things that we can see coming down the pipeline natural selection to combat okay well i guess i can talk about some of it because we're, we're going to do an update um sort of news post pretty soon with our roadmap our plan is to add a few new gameplay features before christmas um, we're going to add what we would like to see, ideally, be the addition of the acid rocket ability for the Fade, uh, a new gun for the Marines. I th we're thinking a revolver, um, but we have a couple of, of ideas. Um, I think the revolver is most likely to get done in the right amount of time, so we'll probably go with that. There's also a new game mode that we're testing called Infection, which is now we're still developing it in terms of balance and in terms of making it fun. A bit like one of those zombie games where whenever you die, you get switched to the other team and become a zombie. Um, so the, you start with one alien, the entire rest of the server is a marine, but they're very, like, the alien is overpowered compared to the marines. And then each time a marine dies, they, go, they get switched over and become a sort of weaker alien to the point where it's one guy who's trying to survive and is hiding in a corner somewhere, trying to, you know, not get found. Um, that's the uh, that's where we want to be with it. Um, and it's, it's I mean we played gameplay prototypes. It's it's quite a fun mode. It didn't take too long for us to make as well, which was nice. So yeah, it's uh, those kinds of things are the sorts of things we'll be adding. I think a few more game modes that we have in mind as well. In terms of um, matchmaking, we were going to be prioritizing the you know the function for people to join as a team. Like so you could join with five friends and fill up a server. You'd all get put onto the same server. But we've, with the low population that we have, we realize that, you know, there's not a lot of value in developing systems like that when you only have a few servers that are full. So uh, we've deferred those until after the winter sale, see where we are. Very nice. I always enjoy hearing what content we can expect coming down the line. It sounds like there's some good stuff coming from uh, you guys. I'm looking, yeah. really, really looking forward to it. So what does the future hold for Fault Line games after National Selection of Combat? So I think we've got a few ideas that we're pitching internally for the next project. I think uh, within the team, we've decided to wait until one of us comes up with that idea that everyone goes, yes, that's perfect. And then we'll start developing that. I think after combat, we're going to obviously be doing the updates for combat, but there's... I think there's a desire within the team to switch to a different engine and to develop something that would work on, you know, on mobiles and on the PC and on Mac and on Linux just natively. So something in the Unreal Engine or something in the Unity Engine uh, that we can quickly build and, and, you know, prototype. I think it's been very interesting going back to Spark and working with NS2, but it has presented challenges for us in terms of, it's a big learning curve if you're not already working with it. If I'm not mistaken, isn't part of Spark written in Lua? Yes, yeah, it is. But there's a lot of uh, stuff that's very, <laughs> very specific to Spark that you have to learn to work with it. And I think that that's where we've struggled to find a new programmers and because it's such a learning curve for programmers to get into 
spark and some of the art guys have found it difficult to get into the pipeline so we're going to try and alleviate that by switching to a new engine switching to something that a lot of people already have existing skills in and then starting on project number two very nice sounds like you guys have a great future ahead of you and i'm really looking forward to that and we will end on this outside of your the own games you're either making pitching content you're doing for which ones are you looking forward to either playing the most currently playing or being involved in in some way shape or form on modding whatever well um the one i'm playing right now is uh, payday 2 I'm really having a lot of fun with that. I've got a few friends who were playing it while I was developing combat, and I never got a chance to play with them. But, you know, they decided to sort of dust off their old characters and, and come play a bit with a few bank heists. That's kind of good. Um, I think uh, in terms of games I would like to mod, I'm quite interested in this new Unreal Tournament that's coming out. I think that that's kind of... I love the idea of the community developing the game from the beginning. It's almost like a... A game that starts as a mod crazy i i really want to see where they go with that because i think if they're doing it the same way we've been doing combat that is going to be a hell of a game to work with in terms of they will be thinking about how moddable how to make everything moddable they will be making all of these mechanics that will be easy to change hopefully and you know it'll all be kind of fast and loose and i, I just love the, the thought of what they're going to build with that i was going to say uh the way epic decided to go with um the unreal uh, you know just the way they're doing the engine the game everything it's <laughs> it's very opposite of what epic has done over the last few years as far as their games um so it's, it's really nice to see them return to form basically so uh, I'm really enjoying what's coming out of there. Um, well, the graphics being one of them because it's unreal. I, <laughs> um, and the the way they're doing cross cross platform development and trying to get it to run across basically anything that runs under the sun, which is great for pretty much anybody with a computer. <laughs> yeah, or even with a tablet. I mean, I, I mean, I've seen those tech <clears throat> demos of Unreal Engine running on there, and it runs really fast as well. Like they've. They're so good at the engine development and the tool chain is really nice to work with as well. I think there's a little, perhaps a little learning curve with the Unreal one, but it's it's great that they've, I mean, they've been in the business for so long. They know how to do it. Like they've got like the best minds on it. Yeah. I think it's going to be very interesting to see with the support of Epic, what a community can do with that. Very much so. And community, take note that this is your chance to step up because um, the source code is available for the Unreal Engine. All you have to do is, I think it's like, what, 20 bucks a month? Yeah, <laughs> um, exactly. For, for, a, for a GitHub poll and have fun. Go go, go mod to your heart's content. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think if you're a student, it's free, isn't it? Or yeah. Something it, like that. Yeah, I believe if you're a student, it's free. But I mean... Epic has completely made this as available as possible to everybody. <laughs> and that this is like the democratization of game development. You can't get any lower common denominator than this. If, if, you, have, if you have an interest in gaming, I mean, between the Far Cry engines and, you know, CryEngine and, you know, uh, Unity and uh, Unreal and all the other various game engines that are available... <laughs> Now is a great time to get into game development. And even if you don't go to college and you just want to be self-taught, these are the tools to help you get into that And if you want to do it. And that's that's awesome to see. Absolutely. I think we're entering a sort of golden age of game development in terms of it being such a low barrier to entry. And in terms of 
I think if you have an idea, it's never been easier to actually make that happen in a short amount of time and to really just kind of, yeah, just be very creative with what you're doing without, you know, needing to dedicate too much time. As some would say, the rise of the Indies. Uh, <laughs> yeah, or the second rise, I guess. I, yeah. I, I was going to say, to me, the this is where <clears throat> um, I, I'm very glad to see that there, there is no quote unquote the death of gaming as some have said death of AAA gaming I might debate but um, well, I don't think that's dying I mean have a look at um, Destiny and Call well, of Duty I, and you know they they are happy <laughs> I think what the what the the quote unquote hardcore gamers mean when they say that is mostly that there is, seems most of the innovation and stuff comes from the more of the indie scene more of the daring titles come from that that side of things as opposed to very form, formula-driven, you know, yearly sequelitis-type mentality from AAA. It's uh, true. I mean, I think you you have got counterpoints to that though. Like Evolve, GTA Five, I think actually exactly. is not recognised as much for what it does <laughs> as a sort of game-changing medium. Um, so I, I, it actually comes down to the publishers. I think 2K very, seems to be very good at getting those creative ideas actually greenlit and actually produced. Um, or some of the other games publishers, perhaps less so. Um, that may just be a short, know, may just be a risk appetite thing. Yeah, uh, risk reward. Sure. <clears throat> you know, it, it, for the publishers, it really does boil down to how how quickly they can recoup development costs and stuff, and, and it's understandable. But on the same note, it does get quite annoying as a gamer. <laughs> it gets in yeah. the way. Yeah, I mean, I I have to say, I've um I've been impressed that the the latest Modern Warfare does seem so different to its peers, but it. Again, it's still more of the same, I suppose. I don't know. I, I, I haven't mo- played it yet. That's perhaps uh, it's unfair of me to comment. I was going to say, I have a, this will show how far behind I'm in, in Call of Duty. I have not played Call of Duty since Modern Warfare. Same. Like, like, yep, uh, like absolutely four. the same. <laughs> yep. um, I just see it as another... My take is I see it as another corridor crawling, you know, linear... I played games for single player. Multiplayer is great, too. But I have to be in the mood and I have to like enjoy the community. I don't enjoy the Call of Duty community. <laughs> no, I think it's yeah, it's it's very much a sort of a different. It's just it's just it is what it is, I suppose. I think if you're into it, it's great. But I've never really been into it. And that, that's the mentality for a lot of uh, multiplayer games. You either enjoy them or you don't. And for me, yeah, not as much. But uh, so. Thank you very much, Alex. I very much enjoyed this interview. Um, yeah, it was well. great to chat. The Soundstage Podcast is proud to be brought to you by the Genesee Network, Genesee.com, The Gray Area Podcast, and Death D for Dishonor.